Well, having finished uh, the brief series that we had in the Lord's Prayer, we now move on to this uh, uh, three-verse passage on fasting. You can find this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Jesus has previously dealt with uh, two other important forms of worship uh, that he expects of his people. First, earlier on in chapter 6, we were taught about almsgiving and about what it means and how we should go about giving to the poor. And then, of course, Jesus teaches us how to pray. And now in these verses, Jesus teaches us how properly to fast. This is the Word of God. Listen carefully to it. Jesus says, And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to you this morning as those who so often think of ourselves as independent and strong and able to stand on our own. We think of ourselves as those who do not need anything. And yet this passage reminds us, O Lord, of how truly dependent we are on you. We thank you, Lord, that in it the Lord Jesus tells us that we are to fast. And so we pray, dear Lord, that you would teach us by your word what it means to give up food and drink for a time. What it means, dear Lord, to trust in you and not in our storehouses. Help us, Lord, to learn, help us to grow, and help us to trust you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I've already mentioned, almsgiving, prayer, and now fasting... These are all mentioned in chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel. And these three things are some of the central tenets to all of the world's religions. You can find this if you look at Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism. They're all present in these major religions of the world. And Jesus assumes here, just as he did with almsgiving, just as he did with prayer, that his followers will fast. He says, when you fast, not if you fast. The expectation upon God's people is that we will give up. We will give up food. We will give up drink for a time in order to focus our thoughts fully on the Lord. But what is the difference? Why is it different between a Muslim fasting and a Christian fasting? What sets Christian fasting apart from all these other religions, from the practices of other people... It's the same as what sets almsgiving apart and what sets prayer apart. We don't do it so that other people may see it. In fact, Jesus tells us here, as he says about giving to the poor, as he says about prayer, we are to do it in secret. We are to do it in such a way that no one except our closest family, our closest relatives, would be aware that we're fasting. 
Giving to the poor, praying and fasting are not to be done in order to be seen. That is not the purpose for our fasting. These are private exercises of your faith. But we all know how powerful a a motivator public recognition is. How many times have you seen plaques on the sides of, 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 of buildings as you go into art museums? Any place you go, practically, there are are commemorations to the fact that someone has donated a large sum of money to do it. This is how people are induced and enticed to give. And when that motivation is taken away, these acts of faith, as far as Christianity is concerned, these acts of faith, uh, which are expected of us, will often fall into neglect. If we don't receive the praise of men, we often do not carry them out. Well, in the last several decades... If fasting has been practiced at all in our society, it's practiced uh, usually for some sort of political or social reason, isn't it? We've all heard about uh, these hunger strikes that people go on from time to time. We're all aware of people uh, in the mid, uh, uh, the 1950s and 60s and 70s who would go on hunger strikes. And even today, uh, there are people who do this. And it's generally to bring attention to a particular cause. Countless public figures, politicians... Celebrities, members of clergy, detainees at Guantanamo Bay, they engage in hunger strikes. And their desire is to bring about some sort of political agenda, to force their will on the powers that be. But in this passage, Jesus takes us in the opposite direction. He goes completely away from the trends that we see in society. Fasting is not to be used to achieve some sort of political goal. It is to be done privately. It is to be done in such a way that no one ever knows you've done it. It is an act of dependence, of private and secret dependence upon your Heavenly Father. And so as we consider these few verses, I would ask you to uh, think about this as we go through. When believers fast, we trust that Jesus Christ, through His death and His resurrection, has given us everything that we need for faith and life. Again, when we fast, we trust that Jesus Christ, through his death and through his resurrection, has given us everything that we need for faith and life. So let's look now at these verses. In verse 16, Jesus says, when you fast. He's already said earlier in chapter 6, when you give to the poor, when you pray. He expects us to fast. What does fasting mean? What does it entail? In its strictest sense, fasting means complete abstention. It means completely refraining from eating, from taking in any food. But it also means that a person could abstain from drinking water. A fast can be for a very short period of time. It may be for an extended period of time. And the first instance of fasting in the Old Testament is when Moses received the Ten Commandments. And you can find this back in Exodus and then again in Deuteronomy. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses is recalling at the end of his life what has happened there at the giving of the law. And he remembers how he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights when he went to Mount Sinai to receive the law. God gave him the law. He came down from the mountain. He found God's people worshiping the golden calf. And God was going to strike them dead. And Moses again fasted 40 days and 40 nights, imploring the Lord, beseeching the Lord not to strike his people down. And then we read in Exodus chapter 34 when Moses goes back to Mount Sinai a second time 
He fasts again. He fasts for the third time, for 40 days and 40 nights. And of course you know this. We saw this earlier in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus himself fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was tempted in every way in the wilderness as he fasted, as he identified with his people in the wilderness, as he identified both with God's Old Testament people, the Israelites, as he became the true, faithful, proved himself to be the true and faithful Israelite, but also identified with us in his temptation. He received scorn and derision from Satan who came to him and tempted him with bread, tempted him with power, tempted him with glory. And yet Jesus refused in every way to break his fast. He refused to give in to Satan because he knew that he was utterly dependent upon his heavenly father. And so he said to Satan, man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Now originally in the Old Testament, the day of atonement was the only occasion when God's people fasted. We can read about this in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29, where God commands that on the day of atonement, his people shall afflict themselves or fast in order to show sorrow for sins. There's an act of penitence that's going on here on the day of atonement. But when Israel was exiled in Babylon, when they were taken into captivity, they were unable uh, to offer sacrifices because the temple had been destroyed. And so fasts began to take the place of the sacrificial system. By the time Jesus began his public ministry, by the time he came on the scene in Galilee and began ministering in public, there were numerous days of fasting in Judaism. And in fact, the Pharisees fasted every single week. On Mondays and Thursdays, they fasted. And they made a big deal of it. People knew that they fasted on these days. And during these times of fasting, people often would not shave or bathe. They would often not anoint their faces with oil, which was the custom of the day. They would refuse to do such things. But even though the Pharisees fasted in this way, even though they fasted twice a week and made somewhat of a show of it, Jesus is not interested in doing away with fasting. He does not abolish it. He does not say not to do it at all. He expects it of his people. The concern that Jesus has is not if you and I fast. The concern is why we fast and how we go about fasting. And Jesus says in verse 16 that when we fast, we're not to look gloomy. We're not to look miserable like the hypocrites do. He says, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Well, the word translated here, disfigure, means literally to make disappear. The hypocrites make a show of appearing unrecognizable to people who know them so that everyone will know what they're doing. Jesus is saying that the hypocrite is putting on a show here. Jesus has used the phrase to be seen by others two other times already in this chapter. A few verses earlier in in verse 5, he uses it with regard to the hypocrites who pray in order to be seen by others. Their desire is that they stand on the street corners and they, they pray so that people will see them praying. They'll see their righteousness. And he used it in verse 1 in reference to the hypocrites who practice their righteousness for all to see. 
But there, in verse 1, he uses a different Greek word than he does in verse 5 and in verse 16. In verse 1, the Greek word translated to be seen is the word that we get the English word theater. The hypocrite's righteousness is a theatrical production. It's a show. It's a dramatic exercise in which the actors put on a gloomy face so that everyone will know how much they're suffering for their religion. They want to be seen and to receive the praise of men. And of these hypocrites, Jesus says they have already received their reward. They wanted the praise of men and they have gotten it. And that's all they will get. There is no future reward for them. There is no future praise from their heavenly Father. There is no future, well done, my good and faithful servant, for these people. Well, in verses 17 and 18, Jesus makes it clear that fasting is to be done in private as far as it is possible. When you fast, it is between you and your heavenly Father. Now, each of us recognizes the constraints that there are on this. If you're fasting and you have a family, your family is going to be aware that you're not eating meals with them. But there's a difference between this and making a public parade of it. It's probably helpful for your family to know that you're fasting. And because of this, because you're to do it privately, Jesus says that we should go about our normal business when we're fasting. We should continue to shower and to shave. We should continue to look like our normal selves. And Jesus here mentions that anointing the head with oil. This was simply a part of the daily hygiene uh, regimen for for those in in the Near East at that time. Because of the, dry, the, the dryness of the air, the scalps would dry out. They would anoint their heads with oil. And Jesus' point here is that we are to look no differently than we look on any other day. We're not to call attention to ourselves. Our goal is not to broadcast the fact that we're fasting. Our goal is to come close to the Lord. Our goal is to depend upon Him and Him alone for everything that we need. But we ought to mention here that even though Jesus takes the time in these verses, even though he takes uh, the time in the Sermon on the Mount to teach about fasting, he does not expect that his disciples will begin fasting right away, does he? Why is this? Well, Jesus gives us the answer in chapter 9 of, uh, chapter nine of uh, Matthew, in verses 14 to 15. He says, I'm still here with you. In those verses, Jesus is approached by some of John the Baptist's disciples. And they ask Jesus why his disciples did not fast as they and the Pharisees did. And what was Jesus' response? He used an analogy. He said that the wedding guests do not mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. But when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. To fast while Jesus was there with them would be like a newly married wife who goes into a deep depression when she finds out that her husband, who is in the military, is going to be deployed to a battle zone in three months. And rather than spending those precious months with her husband in joy, she uh, is in despair because he's about to leave her. But as sad as she might be, does she really want to give up that precious time with him? Does she want to throw it all away and be miserable? No, she wants to enjoy that time. And this is what Jesus is saying here. His disciples, they have Jesus for a very short time, and then he will go away. While he's there with them, they will rejoice. They will feast on Jesus. But when he goes away, 
Then they will fast like the disciples of John. Now there are only a few instances recorded in the New Testament where Jesus' followers fast. In Acts chapter 13 verse, verse 2, just prior to sending Paul and Barnabas off on their first missionary journey, the believers at the church of Antioch were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. They fasted before they sent them out on this missionary journey. In the very next chapter, in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, we're told that Paul and Barnabas, they appointed elders in every city in which they established a church, and they prayed and they fasted when they did this. Now undoubtedly, the reason that we don't have more recorded instances of fasting in the New Testament is for the, the very fact that Jesus said to do it privately. It was a private exercise. Believers weren't making a big deal of it. But Jesus' followers would have been acutely aware of the fact that their bridegroom is away from them. They would have been very aware of the fact that he'd been taken away. And so you see that in, those, in, the, in that period of time between when Jesus dies on the cross and when he's raised from the dead and comes back to them. Look at how despondent they are. How they mourn. How they're lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. But then when Jesus returns, what do they do? They rejoice. They feast upon him. We too are in a time of fasting. We too are Jesus' disciples. And our bridegroom has been taken away from us. He ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of God. And until our bridegroom returns, we should fast. We should refrain from time to time from eating food. You see, without Jesus being physically present with us, we need regularly to be reminded that we're de completely dependent upon Him. We regularly need to demonstrate that to ourselves. We need to go through this act of faith, personal, private act of faith, to show ourselves how dependent and how needy we are. And if fasting was important for this agrarian society to which Jesus speaks, then it is certainly, probably even more important for us those people were dependent from day to day. They were dependent upon the land and what it would produce to provide for them. We're not dependent in the same way. Our cupboards are stocked with food. Our refrigerators are, our refrigerators are full. Last night as I contemplated preaching this passage and this message, and I sat down for dinner, this full plate of food, knowing that I had a full refrigerator and a full cupboard, there's a sense of irony. It, it was a sense of it not quite being right. It is important that we, from time to time, if we're able, exercise in fasting. When we do this, it reminds us that God is the one who provides. It reminds us that He gives us everything that we need. There's something else to fasting. Fasting is also a reminder that there are things that are more important than feeding our bodies. Fasting lets us know that we don't have to feed our bodies every single day. We think in terms of the, the basic necessities of life, don't we? Food, water, clothing, shelter. We say to ourselves, we cannot do without these things. But the fact of the matter is, we can do without them for a time. But there's a greater need that we have. There's a greater need that we have as sinners who've been created in the image of God, 
And that is a spiritual need. It's a spiritual hunger. And fasting reminds us of this fact. Feeding your soul is essential. It's more essential on a daily basis than feeding your body. Now, fairly regularly, our church receives requests from people uh, out in public. They, they call up and they're seeking financial assistance. And this is in part why you give money to the Deacon's Fund. And the Deacon's Fund is used to help these people. But whenever we receive a call, we have one basic requirement. That these people who are seeking financial assistance come to church. That they join us for worship. That they hear the gospel proclaimed. We try not to have strings attached. We try not to make them jump through hoops. But we do want them to recognize that even though their cupboards may be bare, they have a greater need. And so we remind them of this. We tell them that they need to find themselves a church. If it's not mid-cities, find a church that faithfully proclaims the gospel. They need to hear it. And if they think that their physical needs are great, imagine the spiritual need that they have. And so often we'll send them away and we'll give them assistance and we'll encourage them to come back next week to make themselves a part of this fellowship or a part of another because while their bodies may continue for a time without food or drink, their souls will not. For those of us who live in relative abundance, for those of us who don't uh, come with needs uh, for physical uh, items, It is necessary on occasion to remind ourselves through fasting that we need a more basic, uh, we have a need that is more basic than food and water. So let me ask you the question. Let me put the question to all of us here. Do you fast? Do I fast? I'm not asking you to raise your hands. I don't want you to, to make a public display of whether you fast or not. I just want to put it to you. Do we on occasion fast? Now, some of us may have medical reasons which prevent us from fasting. There are genuine reasons why some of us should not fast. Our bodies cannot physically sustain it. But for those of us who are relatively healthy, do we fast? And if we do not fast, why not? Now, it may be that we we don't think about it. It's not an emphasis of the church in the 21st century, is it? We don't consider it that much. We may see it as some sort of legalistic exercise that is a, is a, we, we cast it off uh, when the Old Testament uh, changed into the New Testament. But there may be different and deeper spiritual reasons for why we don't fast. There may be a spiritual reason why we neglect this important part of the Christian walk. And if we don't fast, are we impover- impoverishing ourselves spiritually? If we don't fast, are our souls malnourished? You see, fasting will help you and it will help me to remember that Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, is away from us. He's not here. It will remind us that Jesus Christ has promised to return. We are not despondent. We have not given up hope because he's away. But we fast as a remembrance We fast in order to be dependent upon him. We long for Jesus' return. If we don't fast, is it because we aren't concerned that Jesus has been taken away from us? If we don't fast, uh, are we preoccupied with the things of this world and so preoccupied that we don't even consider the fact that Jesus isn't with us right now? 
Is this why we don't fast? Now, some of you have been in the military. I know I often use military illustrations, and I, at the risk of, of repetition, I, I, I want to uh, use an illustration this morning. I served in the military at a time when we were not in combat. We're not at war. But there were times during the regular deployment of units where you would hear stories about the spouses who had been left behind. The husband or the wife was away on a deployment, and the spouse who remained was busy cavorting with other spouses who were left behind by theirs. The only thought they gave to their spouse who was away was when the, the time when, when he or she might call and check in. And so many times this happens. The spouse returns, uh, the unfaithful spouse is caught, and uh, the marriage is broken apart. Is this the way we are with Jesus Christ being away from us? Are we too busy cavorting and having a grand old time down here in Jesus' absence? Do we even consider that he's away from us? Do we long for him to return? If you are busy longing for Jesus Christ's return, you will not have time to cavort and to be unfaithful because your desire, your heart is with him. And you can say, just as the Apostle Paul said, my desire is to be in heaven, to depart from this body. That is our desire. That should be our desire. Well, during this time of waiting for Christ to return, what are some occasions when we may consider fasting? What are some things that should cause us, perhaps, to, to think about fasting, the need to fast? Well, I'll give you some biblical examples. I think these will serve us well. It is appropriate to fast during times of grief. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12, and chapter 3, verse 36, David fasts when he hears about the deaths of Saul and Jonathan and Abner. David fasts again before uh, the Lord takes his son to be with him, the, the, Lord, the, the son that was born out of infidelity with Bathsheba. He fasts again and he beseeches the Lord. Nehemiah. In chapter 1, verse 4 of his book, fasts when he hears that Jerusalem has fallen. These are times of grief. These are appropriate times for us to fast. They are occasions on which we can remind ourselves that Jesus Christ is going to return in glory and restore all things and, and destroy the world as we know it and make it new. These are times when we can grieve his absence. Well, also biblically, People fasted during times of repentance, and as has been mentioned, on the Day of Atonement, it was a yearly day of fasting and repentance for sin. There are times where it is appropriate for you to fast before the Lord because of sin in your life. But fasting is also used as a means for personal piety. David, in Psalms 35 and 69, humbled himself with fasting. And in the New Testament, the prophetess Anna served day and night in the temple with prayer and fasting. And of course, Jesus Christ himself, as we've already mentioned, in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. He demonstrated his willingness to put himself utterly, make himself utterly dependent upon his heavenly Father, who would feed him with the spiritual, need, the spiritual food that he needed. Now, these occasions are not mandatory. I'm not standing before you. I'm not telling us that we need to fast on these occasions. But they are occasions, and they can serve as reminders to each of us. But we should fast. 
You have freedom in Christ. He's given you that freedom. And when it is wise to fast, do so. Follow the leading of the Spirit. Let these verses in Matthew be an encouragement to you all, to to us all, to fast. Don't be legalistic about it. Don't fall into that trap. Jesus is giving you freedom. Don't fall into the trap of legalism and hypocrisy. And certainly don't make it a public event. But on occasion, fast. Cast yourselves completely in the hands of your Heavenly Father. Remind yourself that in Christ Jesus, through His death and through His resurrection, you have been given everything that you need. Every spiritual gift is yours. All that you need for life and for faith has been given to you. And even though Jesus is away, even though He has departed from us, He hasn't left us alone, has He? He sent us His Spirit. He sent us His Spirit so that we would not be orphans. He sent His Spirit so that we could feast spiritually upon Him. When you fast, you will see that your most basic need of all is not food, it is not water, it is not shelter, it is not clothing. It is the Spirit of the Lord. When you fast, your most basic need will become apparent. The salvation that comes only through Christ Jesus and through nothing else. Only Jesus Christ can give this to you. When you fast, you feed on Him, and He will fill your soul. Let us come before the Lord in prayer.